His was a tale of loyalty, of commitment, and trust. He was bold, he was brash, he was outspoken, prone to go with his first impulse, even if it was the wrong one. Speak now, think later. He was a great friend. He would be the first to stand up with you or stand up for you, to speak on your behalf, to follow you where others refuse to go. He would even pull out a weapon to defend you in front of a small army, knowing that it might cost him his life. But for him, it was one promise to many, one claim too bold, and when the rooster crowed that night, for him, it might as well have been over. His very identity may have been solidified at that point for all of history. His name was Simon Peter, and you might recall that he was one of the chosen by Jesus, one of those hand-picked by Jesus to leave his nets and to come become a fisher of men. And after three years of doing life with Jesus, Peter was still not entirely sure of who he was supposed to be or what he was supposed to be about. That very night, Jesus' prediction that Peter would disown him, then followed up by Jesus' arrest, well, it certainly didn't help with Peter's clarity of mind. And then with Peter's final blunder of standing in the courtyard while Jesus was on trial, and Peter denying that he even knew who Jesus was, it would have been easy, if not even fitting, that every negative thing ever said about Peter at that moment of failure, it could have solidified the image, not only of who he was, but of who he would become. You see, his worst moment in life could have been the thing that defined him. His past could have been the thing that identified him for the future. But history will tell us, the accounts in the Gospels will tell us that a few days later, in the presence of his friends while sitting around a fire where Jesus had cooked fish and bread, Jesus had a conversation with Peter and not only restored him, but called him to a new task, called him to a new plan, a new purpose, and helped him to see that his very identity was based not on who he was or what he had done, rather on whose he was and what Jesus himself would do through him. And Peter, upon taking the identity of Christ, would later write concerning all who find their identity in him, these words from 1 Peter, the book that he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Let's pray. We see the transformation, Lord, from Peter being a man whose identity could have labeled him to seeing a person whose identity was changed because of his encounter with Jesus Christ. I pray, God, today that our identities would find their place and their purpose in our relationship to your son, Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen. 
You know, one of the most crucial questions that you and I can ask ourselves is, who am I? Followed up quickly with, is my identity in Christ? Is my identity in Christ? Last week, Josh kicked off this teaching series as he shared these words. He said, for, this is his own little testimony. He says, as a child of God, a follower of Jesus, I've spent considerable amount of my faith life wrestling with or trying to fight off what feels like a spiritual identity crisis. And if you didn't get a chance to watch that teaching last week, it's online. Make sure you check that out. He said, I knew I needed to find my identity solely in Jesus, but I searched other areas to find my value. Those were such honest words, and, and they resonated so with me as I look back and realize that my own journey as a Christian, that in my own time, I had tried to find my value and my worth and my identity in so many ways and in so many places, until I finally determined that they all fall short in recognizing who I am as determined by whose I am. And my hope and my prayer is that if you have accepted the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, that you will not only find your eternal security in him, but that you will find your identity in him as well. Probably the truth is that most of us at one time or another have struggled with trying to figure out who we are or what our identity will be. And as a result, we've experimented or, or dabbled in all manner of looks and loves and hobbies and toys, just trying to figure out who we are. All we have to do is go back through a few years of pictures, of social media posts, even stories that our friends would tell us about our past. And we can see the struggle that we've had in trying to find our identity. You know, many of us have found ourselves in hateful and hurtful environments. The negative words and the unwarranted criticisms, they've taken a toll on our well-being. Destructive self-images, feelings of worthlessness, lack of value, they've, those things have sought to define us, to label us, to shape our identity. Sometimes you and I, we just chase an identity, right? We... We, we try to reinvent or reframe ourselves into being somebody that we're not. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I think self-improvement's a really good thing, right? But when we choose to take on another identity simply because it makes us look smarter or, or act cooler or make us more popular, we, we, risk, we risk being the hypocrite and that we will be found out. And I think that we will always be left wanting. Truth is, though, that in our struggle for identity, the problem isn't always the fault of negative pressure that we've experienced or, or the pressure that we put on ourselves. Sometimes it's our families and our friends and our bosses and our school counselors and even our spouses that they have ideas and designs on who they want us to be. I've seen kids grow up with the expectation from their parents that, well, they're going to take over the family farm or they're going to run the family business. I remember a young man who was wanting to pursue ministry as his occupation, and his parents convinced him that he needed to go to school to get a degree in business and perhaps a little bit of law. I've seen kids with no desire or no ability to play sports figuratively and perhaps even literally being pushed out onto the playing field. See, sometimes the identity that even well-meaning people have chosen for us is not 
who we were ever supposed to be, right? Even though your manager may want you to seek out that supervisor pr- pr- promotion, you know, your, your parents might want you to attend their alma mater, your spouse wants you to make the same kind of money that your friends do. Now, I confess, my closet is full of clothes. Um, last week, my wonderful wife insisted on taking me shopping. We're getting ready to go on vacation. And, uh, but you would think, after 38 years of marriage, that my wife would know there is nothing about my identity that includes wearing bright colored summer shorts. <laughs> it's just not me. We didn't buy any. That's why she doesn't shop for me. (laughs) The truth is that whether we feel like our mistakes have tagged us or the ideas of others have pushed an identity upon us or we have chased an identity hoping to reinvent ourselves, that through each and every attempt at recognizing and realizing and embracing our identity, we'll never find true contentment until our identity is grounded firmly as a child of God through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, once we become a follower of Jesus, our identity as a child of God should supersede every other tag that others may place upon us or that we may embrace ourselves. How better off would we be if we would just remember those words day to day, not just be reminded of them? On a Sunday morning. Because when we don't, it becomes so easy for us to take on an identity that really isn't ours, and certainly not the one that Jesus has for us. I knew a friend once who bought himself a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I'm nothing against that, right? I, I like motorcycles. I rode mine today, it's parked across the street, right? But with his bike came an identity change. Here was a man that I knew that I never saw wearing a t-shirt with any kind of logo on it ever to where it seemed like every single thing he wore, said Harley Davidson. When I was 16, there was a kid that I'd known for several years, you know, I grew up with him. Suddenly he started going by a different first name. And so I asked him, I said, dude, what's with the name change? And he shared with me that his dad, who shared the same first name and last name, was into some shady stuff. And he was concerned that his career or his reputation or his life might become marred because there's a mistake in his identity. Before I was a pastor, I worked in the communications industry, and I can recall having lots and lots of conversations with friends and coworkers regarding stereotypes. And one of my friends in particular was continually being defined by others based simply on the color of her skin. It had a darker tone. And it was assumed because of that that she had a certain identity, that she liked certain music, that she ate certain foods, that she held certain views. And I hated that for her. I hate it for everyone who's defined by the car they drive or the house in which they live or the job that they hold or the color of their skin. You see, once we become a follower of Jesus, our identity as a child of God should supersede every other tag that others may place on us, or that we may embrace ourselves. I mean, think about it. Certainly there are lots of things that describe us, right? White collar, blue collar, tall, short, young, old, father, mother, sister, brother, right? 
In this room, we're Republican, we're Democrat, we're gardener, we're runner, we're weightlifter, we're HBO Max enthusiast. We're introvert, extrovert, leader, follower, timid, assertive, very smart, and not so smart. These are all things that describe us. But for those who follow after Jesus, these are not and should not ever be the things that define us. They simply aren't our identity. Let me say it again. The things that describe us should not be the things that define us. However, the thing that defines us should spill over into all the ways that others describe us or that we describe ourselves. And that one thing is our identity in Christ. At the start of today's teaching, I talked about a man named Peter. He was that one chosen by Jesus that could have been described in lots of negative ways. But when Peter found his identity in Christ, it changed everything. The book of Acts in our New Testament part of our Bibles gives us an overview, a history of the early church. Uh, the entire second chapter is, well, in the second chapter, it's recorded that uh, just a few weeks after uh, Jesus had returned back to heaven, that there was a great gathering of Jews in the city of Jerusalem. And our friend Peter found himself there, not denying the Christ this time, no, no. This time, instead, he was speaking boldly about Christ in front of a great crowd. And it was there at that moment that 3,000 people recognized that they were sinners and that their actions had put Jesus on the cross. And it wasn't because Peter was this great guy. It wasn't because Peter was now this perfect pastor. It wasn't because he was now an articulate teacher. It was because when Peter found his identity in Christ, it changed everything. And we continue to read in that chapter, we see that those 3,000 people, they repented of their sins, they changed their way of behavior. They were baptized, and the church, of which we are now a part, was born. You see, from those humble beginnings, the church, those who had chosen to follow Jesus, they began meeting in their homes for teaching, for fellowship, for eating meals together, for taking communion together for prayer. And within a very short period of time, word got out that this relationship with Jesus Christ, with the re resurrected Savior, it spread and people were being saved. And the scripture says people were added to the church daily because when the believers found their identity in Christ, it changed everything. In the third chapter of Acts, our friend Peter and another of Jesus' followers named John, probably heard of him as well, they healed a man, right? They healed a man who could not walk, came begging for some money. They said, we got no money, but we can give you this. We'll give you some Jesus, right? When he was given the opportunity, Peter declared publicly his identity in Christ. I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this? 
And why stare at us is that we made this man walk by our own power or good godliness. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Let me remind you, this man was not healed because of who Peter and John once were. He was not healed because Peter and John fancied themselves as like super spiritual leaders, right? He was not healed because some well-intentioned family member, you know, picked an identity for them, wanted them to make a difference in their community, therefore they did. No, Peter makes it clear that the man was healed by the power of Jesus, the one who gave Peter and John their new identity. Over in the next chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, we read that while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. All these were religious leaders. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there's resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and said, since it was already even, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Think about that number for a moment. There are churches that meet on any given Sunday morning. There are churches that meet with 5,000 people in them. But this was it. This was the entirety of the church. This was the entirety of Christianity, right? The entirety of all the followers of Jesus. That was it. That was the church. 5,000 men plus women and children, Now, did this happen because Peter and the apostles, because of their power, because of their popularity, because of their position in society? No, it happened because when the followers of Jesus um, found their identity in him, it changed everything. It changed everything. Picking up in verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John Alexander, the the other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in the two disciples, Peter and John, and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? You want to know how he was healed? It's kind of a rhetorical question. They did not want to know how he was healed, right? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. I'm going to skip down to verse 13. This is such a powerful passage right here. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men, with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The religious leaders recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The religious leaders didn't see Peter and John's identity springing up out of their pedigree or their perfection or their lack thereof. 
They didn't see their being identified or determined by their financial situation or the neighborhood that they're from or who they were related to. No, these were just ordinary men who had been with the extraordinary Jesus. Which causes me to ask some questions about myself and causes maybe you to ask some questions about yourself. Do people recognize you and do they recognize me as someone who has been with Jesus? Is that how they see us? Whether you've been following Jesus for three months or for 30 years, does your life and do your words and do your attitudes and do your actions declare that you have been with Jesus? Do they scream to the world that our identity is in him? Has your time with him made a difference in your life? Has your time with him made a difference in your attitude? Has your time with him made a difference in your behavior? Has your time with him made a difference in your identity? You see, regardless of where you have come from, regardless of your family's dysfunction, regardless of your past reputation, regardless of your failed attempts at being who you plan to be, And regardless of your wealth, and regardless of your power, and regardless of your popularity, regardless of you checking off all the boxes that you think make you the absolute best version of yourself, when we take on the identity of Jesus, it changes everything. And people will recognize that we've been with Jesus. Acts 4, starting at verse 16. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign and everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them to not speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Virgil paraphrase. We can't stop. We can't change who we are. We can't change our identity. We have been with Jesus. Our identity is in him. We cannot help but have our actions, our attitudes, and our words changed by him. And we won't stop. You see, when our identity is in Jesus, it changes everything. A couple weeks ago in our Bad Religion series that we had before this one, Ben Cantler, our student pastor, he reminded us that we are God's beloved and that God's love for us establishes our identity. And out of our identity comes our activity. He says, before God tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. Before Peter could be who Jesus had called him to be, before he could do what Jesus had called him to do, he had to see Jesus for who he was and recognize that his identity was in him. And before we can be who Jesus has called us to be and do what he has called us to do, we need to see Jesus for who he is and find our identity in him. You see, he loves us so much that he paid the very price for our sins. This sermon series that we're in right now is entitled Be and Behold. Friends, who we behold determines who and what we will be. 
Let's behold Jesus and find our identity in him. Friends, I want to tell you, if we want to find that identity in Jesus Christ, we must pursue him. We have to spend time with him. We have to learn about the ways that he lived and the ways that he loved so that we can take on that identity as well. If we want to be finding our identity in Jesus, we must personalize our passions. Those things that he cared deeply for, we must care for as well. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He had compassion on the hurting. He wept with the sorrowful, showed mercy to those who felt undeserving of mercy. Friends, so should we. Lastly, if we want our identity to be in Jesus, we must be about his purpose. Luke 10, or Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He cared deeply about those who had not come into relationship with him. And if our identity is in Christ, so should we. Let's pray. Jesus, we see the example of Peter. We see someone who just, sometimes when we think of him, we just think, what a goober. He just opened his mouth and stuck his foot in so many times. Yet when he found his identity in you, it changed everything. And we might look at our own lives and think, man, we're goobers. We open our mouth and shove our foot in. We say the wrong things, do the wrong things, chase after the wrong things. We pursue the stuff that the world says makes us great, makes us important. When really what the world needs to see is that we've been with Jesus. So for whatever that looks like in each of our lives, however each of us are being called to pursue you, Jesus, more closely, or how we are being called to be more in line with those things that you're passionate about, or how you're calling us to step out of our comfort zone so that we can go along with your purpose to seek and to save the lost. Whatever each of us individually need this morning, Jesus, you know that. Create in us your identity. Draw us to you in the ways that you want to. Lead us in the directions that you need us to go. And let us be willing to follow you, to behold you, and to be what you've called us to be. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.